Since the start of his rise from congressional backbencher to the presidency of Latin America's richest nation, Jair Bolsonaro's antics have always been compared to those of Donald Trump. While not a perfect nickname, Bolsonaro has often been referred to as the Trump of the tropics, a comparison he has always welcomed and fueled himself. They say he's the Donald Trump of South America. Do you believe that? And he's happy with that. If he wasn't, I wouldn't like the country, so. And COVID-19 has made the two far-right leaders even more alike. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Over the past few weeks, protests against stay-home orders have popped up in state capitals around the country, and the president himself says the economy should be jump-started, claiming that citizens are needlessly being kept from working. The head of state and his supporters follow a strict playbook. First, blame China. Then, blame state governors for driving the country into a recession. The third part of the strategy is inciting insurrection against quarantine rules. If you thought I was talking about Brazil, you're right. If you thought I was talking about the United States of America, you are also right. Jair Bolsonaro and Donald Trump share the same communication strategy, but the pandemic has made their similarities even more apparent. This week, we talk about how each leader has faced COVID-19 both from a political economic side and a healthcare perspective. We're glad to host Dr. Luis Fernando Correa, a physician and a healthcare correspondent in the U.S. for Brazilian radio station CBN. Doctor, thanks for joining us. How would you compare Brazil and the U.S.'s approach to the coronavirus? The beginning of the pandemic is pretty similar in terms of the the position of the governments of Brazil and the United States. Both uh, presidents works in a denial condition in the beginning, uh, minimizing the effects of the pandemics, uh, saying that the virus is not so bad, the things are not so bad, the numbers are not correct. But in a certain moment, uh, President Trump in the United States Realize that it's not going to be a good strategy, especially we are we are here in the United States in the electoral year, uh, and probably it's gonna it's gonna cost the re-election for the president. Uh, in Brazil, President Bolsonaro is still in the denial condition because he lives in a campaign mode. The problem is both presidents do not support the their positions with science. They deny the science and deny the findings and use alternate, alternative <laughs> sources, as you can say that. And so that's a big problem because the both countries are facing the pandemics without a coordinate uh, effort by the executive, by their president. So, in a, in a similar way, the governors, even in Brazil and the United States, uh, needed to take action and take measures and implement measures just like the lockdowns or uh, stay at home, uh, 
executive orders and deal with the, the problem. And why can't governors handle the pandemic without the help of the federal government? We have some issues that are exclusive for the federal government of the countries. For example, who who is going to deal with China about the the supply chain of the for the healthcare equipments and for the devices and tests and so on? It's something that must be done by the country, not by the states. So uh, we're supposed to do to to the the one that was supposed to be dealing with China suppliers is going to be the the ministers, not the governors. So it's so complicated, and that those things, the denial in the beginning, and the the absence of the uh, executive coordination coming from above, uh, are complicating the pandemic's efforts in Brazil and the United States. You mentioned at one point in your answer that Donald Trump has started taking COVID-19 more seriously, but by then, much of the damage had already been done, right? Yes. If the, the actions were taken at the, the right time, as I said, before the things started to getting worse, for example, the first death in the United States uh, was on March 1st. Think about the Chinese released the genome of the virus, that new virus, on January 7th. Germany developed the first test for diagnosing the new coronavirus on January the 15th. So uh, the mess that the CDC made in the United States with the test, they already uh, acknowledged they messed up. They create a test that is not reliable. They need to recall those tests. So they have problems. And uh, they have time because all, also United States and Brazil are a little protected, as you can use this word, because uh, both countries are a little far from China. Uh, United States are more exposed because uh, we have a lot of uh, direct flights to China. But Brazil, for example, don't have direct flights to China. So those countries are protected by, and have time to be prepared for the pandemics. It's not something that uh, the, the scientists, the infectologists, the epidemiologists, all them, we all know that's gonna happen. And we all know what's going to be the probable course and the, the, the rhythm of the infection in, the, in, in countries outside China. And you can say something that's pretty curious. Uh, the poor areas around New York, around Manhattan, and parts of Manhattan also, they have the same uh, density of people, demographic density, as the Brazilian slums. So uh, Queens, certain areas of Queens in New York has the same number of inhabitants, just like the Rocinha community in Brazil, in the middle of Rio de Janeiro. So they are ticking bombs. Anyone could see that, but no one 
decide to be prepared for that. You mentioned that some areas in New York have a similar population density to that of favelas in Rio de Janeiro, but favelas have an additional component to the equation, a frequent lack of sanitation and limited access to healthcare services. Can we analyze the COVID-19 curve in New York City to help us predict what is going to happen in Brazilian favelas? Uh, I believe that we had some similarities, not exactly in the hygiene conditions, for example. Of course, uh, the minimal standards in the United States, even for the, uh, the projects, they don't have the, the hygiene issues, but they have the difficult, the, the lack of access to healthcare systems. In Brazil, we have a, a huge, the biggest one in the world, public health system the SUS, S-U-S, but uh, we have problems. We have inequalities, and the inequalities are more uh, evident in the, in the slums and in the, those communities inside, those, inside the cities. And we have here in the United States inequalities, especially we're talking about the African-American population. We talk about some uh, sectors of the immigrants just like Latin America, for example, in the southern part of the United States, has a huge uh, inequality in terms of healthcare access. And you can measure that when you, you don't need to, to wait for the coronavirus crisis to learn that. We have uh, highest rates of obesity, of hypertension, of cancer, and uh, diabetes, for example, in the African-American and some sectors of the Latin American population in the United States. If you look at the difference between the, the percentage of the African-American living in certain areas of New York, they have more than double the death percentage in the same area. It's a sign of inequality. It's a sign of the lack of access to healthcare. We have a lot of listeners who might not be familiar with how the healthcare system works in Brazil, as opposed to the U.S. Can you make a brief comparison, please? Of course. Uh, we start with the Brazilian system, the SUS. It's the, the Health Unified System. It's the acronym for SUS in Portuguese. Uh, it's a universal coverage of healthcare defined by law in the constitution of the country. And uh, it provides some very, very good things, just like Brazil has the best immunization program in the world, period. We offer vaccines for the basic diseases for everybody with no cost. That's great. Uh, we have the best uh, HIV AIDS treatment program in the world, period. We offer testing, we offer treatment, free for everybody. But in terms of the, the, the healthcare system by itself, when you go to the basic care, uh, hospitalization for common things, just like elective surgeries and so on, we have a lot of difficulties. Depending on the places in the country, for example, we don't have any uh, radiotherapy device 
in, uh, in some states. So it's crazy. You have cancer everywhere, but you don't have treatment for cancer everywhere. Our system is pretty much different for the, the American system because it's basically a public funding system. And in the United States, you have basically a private healthcare system. Estimates about, some say, 25, 30 million. It's going to be just like 10% of the population is totally out of the healthcare system in the United States. In Brazil, we have 100% of the population covered, but with those difficulties in terms of the offering of the health, of the treatments, especially when you talk about more complex treatments for everybody. Before I let you go, Dr. Luis Fernando, do you see Brazil or the U.S. changing how they approach their own healthcare system? I mean, in other words, do you see Brazilian policymakers starting to reverse the underfunding of SUS and American politicians bringing universal healthcare to the mainstream? The pandemic is showing that we depend on the SUS in Brazil. So the right debate is going to be, will be, <laughs> I hope so, we don't vaccinate enough money to the SUS. But I don't think that debate is going to happen because the economy is going to be so stressed and so punished by the, the pandemics. And I, unfortunately, I believe the only, the only discussions that we're going to see in Brazil after the pandemics is going to be the economics of the market and the problems of the money. In the United States, just because you have a, a presidential election at the end of the year, there is a window of opportunity Personally, I don't want to go back to that normal that we had before. That normal is not working. Luis Fernando Correa is a physician and a healthcare correspondent in the U.S. for Brazilian Radio CBN. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Laura Kiran, co-founder of The Brazilian Report. COVID-19 has created a media paradox. Audiences are going up, but for many journalism companies, revenues actually is going down. Some of Brazil's biggest media outlets are trying to cut the salaries of their reporters by up to 70%. Not us. We protect our team because they bring you the best information about Brazilian English. But we do ask you to subscribe to The Brazilian Report, which is the engine of this podcast. There, you will find new in-depth content every day, special reports, analytical newsletters. Just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. And please stay safe. Ewan Marshall, hello. Hi, Gustavo. So we have grown accustomed to hearing comparisons between Donald Trump and Jair Bolsonaro, we've made some ourselves, but how do their strategies toward COVID-19 coincide? Well, there's a lot of aspects to choose from. If we just focus on the political side of things, as Dr. Cohe has already covered the health issues, we can look at their willingness to transform the pandemic into a partisan dispute. 
both Donald Trump and Jair Bolsonaro have, in one way or another, scapegoated China as the villain for the coronavirus outbreak, as, you know, that's where the virus originated. Uh, Trump was more direct than Bolsonaro. Uh, Bolsonaro, he left the China bashing to his, his entourage, his sons, and the other people around his cabinet. But they've both claimed that China covered up the outbreak at first, which helped the spread become worse. In fairness, though, China's severe lockdown bought the word some time, too. Exactly. Yeah, it's a highly complex issue. But for both countries, messing with China is extremely tricky. Yeah, so in the US's case, it jeopardizes the timid advances in recent trade negotiations. Because it's one thing to wage a trade war on China when your country has full employment. It's another thing to try and outmuscle Xi Jinping amid the worst crisis since the Great Depression. And another similarity is that Trump and Bolsonaro, they've also lashed out at the respective countries' state governors for shutting down the economy, urging that people should be allowed to return to work ASAP. And they've kind of plagiarised each other in a way, saying that the strategy to curb the infection curve cannot be worse than the virus itself. Yeah, and we commented on a previous episode that in fairness, a GDP reduction does bear consequences over a country's mortality rate as people are deprived from saner lifestyles. Exactly, yeah, but Trump and Bolsonaro, they're by no means presenting the issue as a nuanced problem. They're placing anyone who's in favor of quarantine measures as people who are deliberately trying to tank the economy in order to shorten their time in the presidency. It has worked, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, to some degree it has. In the US, we can see that people who are worried about waiting too long to reopen the economy, they're largely those who identify themselves as very conservative. What about Brazil? Well, here we don't have the same kind of polling data, but we can see that people who are against confinement measures generally come from the demographics which are more likely to support Jair Bolsonaro. Um, in both cases, supporters of the president, whether it be here or in the US, they believe that asking for social isolation when a massive crisis is about to happen is actually an act of attack against the president himself. Millions of people in the States and in Brazil take their cues from their president. How have these people reacted to the way Trump and Bolsonaro have approached the issue of reopening the economy? Well, in both places, we've seen a, a surge of anti-lockdown rallies. Uh, in the US, they've come in several states, you know, in Texas, Ohio, California, Pennsylvania, among others. But the same thing has happened in Brazil. Uh, in the last few weeks, we saw motorcades asking for authorities to lift isolation measures. Um, they weren't exactly huge demos, and the ones in Sao Paulo were mainly focused on protesting against the state governor, João Doria. Uh, he has become something of uh, the face of the opposition against Jair Bolsonaro when it comes to COVID-19. Which is curious, given that Doria won his governor's seat thanks to his unapologetic subservience to Bolsonaro during the 2018 election. Exactly, yeah. But as the left just kind of seemed to disappear from the political landscape in Brazil, Doria took the chance to distance himself from Bolsonaro. Um, and he's crafting an image of being a more palatable version of the president. That is, someone who is pro-business and won't get into this bickering and fighting with Congress and the Supreme Court that you know we've seen from Bolsonaro. And so far, that strategy has been fairly successful. You know, Doria's approval ratings are rising sharply. What is tragic is that this protest we have seen can easily be a sort of petri dish for the virus, as people obviously don't respect social distancing during such events. 
you said these motorcades in Brazil were timid in numbers and even ridiculed by opponents of Bolsonaro, but all of a sudden they became a more serious issue, right? Yeah, what we have seen since 2013 is that many protests with hardcore conservatives, they end up with some sort of cry for a military coup. Um, and these motorcades, you know, the, that we've had in the last few weeks, they've become undisguised rallies against democratic institutions in Brazil, while also being pro-Bolsonaro. And on Sunday, Bolsonaro attended one of these protests and he delivered a speech which was, you know, it sounded more like a call to arms than anything else, asking Brazilians to, quote, fight alongside him and saying that the mischief is over and that there is no more room for negotiations with Congress. Seems a bit on the nose, doesn't it? So how has the political world reacted? Well, as usual, lawmakers, Supreme Court justices, legal associations, they, they all rushed to Twitter and published these outraged statements defending democracy. But, you know, that was, that was pretty much it. Well, these statements are the Brazilian equivalent of the American thoughts and prayers. Yeah, it's a customary response, you know, and when you have to keep repeating the same things over and over without any action, it kind of loses its meaning a little bit. Nothing more? Well, Brazil's Prosecutor General has begun an investigation into the participation of elected officials in these rallies at the weekend. It's because the national security law in Brazil forbids people from inciting acts against the democratic order. But there's no mention of Bolsonaro in the investigation. And the Prosecutor General, Augusto Aras, he said multiple times that his office is working in total alignment with the government, even though the prosecution service is meant to be an independent body. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how serious the probe really is. These two leaders do have very aggressive behaviors, especially when under intense pressure. My fear is that they might cave to their worst impulses. It's a legitimate fear. Uh, Trump and Bolsonaro have shown multiple times that they don't care much for democratic values. For instance, Trump has just announced a drastic measure to ban immigration in the US, using the coronavirus as an excuse. And earlier this month, Trump also threatened to apply a never-before-used provision of the Constitution, which would allow himself to adjourn the US Congress and push through many of his nominees, which would typically require confirmation from the Senate. And, you know, that was just days after he claimed that he has total authority over the states before, you know, having to back down. Bolsonaro tried a similar thing, hinting that he could sign a decree lifting quarantine measures, but he was blocked by the Supreme Court even before he went ahead with it. But, you know, it is clear that both Trump and Bolsonaro are less worried about the possible hundreds of thousands who may die from COVID-19 and more focused on their own political destiny. How have their approval ratings uh, floated during the pandemic? In Trump's case, they slightly improved, only to then go back to their kind of regular levels, which is another sign of how COVID-19 became a partisan issue in the US. And for Bolsonaro, the opposite happened. Uh, his approval ratings dipped, actually, but then recovered some ground, according to the recent polls. And that shows that at least in the short term, their strategy has worked. But of course, their fate shall ultimately depend on how bad the economic crisis will be and how big the body count will be. Iwan, thank you very much. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please rate us with five stars. That will help more people find out about this show. Also, don't forget to visit our website. We are bringing new content every day about how the pandemic 
is affecting every single aspect of life in Brazil, all the way from the GDP to the sex industry. We also have a paywall-free COVID-19 live blog, but you should know that the best way to support independent journalism is by subscribing to our website. Our plans start at less than $4, which is really not a lot to ask for when we're talking about quality information from our great reporters. Go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. That's all for this week. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, and you have listened to Explaining Brazil. Stay home, stay safe, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.